Welcome to Infinite Insights, the podcast designed for all TK-12 math teachers. I'm Dwayne Hobbecker, math coordinator for Merced County Office of Education. And I'm Maggie Peters, math consulting teacher for the Rincon Valley School District. Where? Oh, in Northern California. I was going to leave that off for fun. Everybody knows where I'm at now. <laughs> and every other week, Maggie and I are going to share a new math research study or article or some other mathy thing, and we're going to talk it over, bounce ideas off of each other, and think about how to implement it in the classroom. Awesome. So how are you today, Dwayne? I'm struggling, apparently. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, I can't read the, the words that we're supposed to say. It's I'm struggling. How about you? Hey, it's Monday, and I'm alive, and I made it home, so I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I can't say that yet. I'm still at the office, so in a couple of hours, I'll be able to say that I got home. Hey, good for you. Yeah, so hey, what's the topic that we're going to talk about today, Maggie? Okay, so um, I'm actually signed up for a few resources that culminate articles from all over the place um, that pertain to math, science, and learning, and all that kind of stuff. And a few weeks ago, an article was sent to me in one of those emails that caught my eye. Um, it was from an online publication from, it's called Science News for Students. Um, and the article was called, Math Isn't Just for Boys. Unfortunately, too many girls have yet to get that message. Wow. Uh huh. So, a little bit about me. Growing up, I was a girl who always felt like I was swimming in numbers that made no sense. Um, so, I knew we had to dive a little deeper into the subject this week when I saw that as the title. I am, I'm glad we did because, you know, there's like all these, we always talk about, like in No Child Left Behind, we always talk about those subgroups, right? Oh, the African-American kids and the Hispanic kids. And one of the subgroups, one of the most basic ones is boys and girls. Are we addressing the needs and meeting the needs of the boys and the girls? And and today, it's the girls. It's like, no, duh, of course we need to talk about this. So I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. Oh, good. Um, one of the things that the article talks about um, and the supporting research that I kind of dug into to kind of support this talk that we're having is, is that of stereotyping. Mm -hmm. And that's a sensitive subject and I get it, but at very early ages, we're exposed to stereotyping, both for girls and boys. And in fact, from the moment people know a baby's sex, they often treat those girls and boys differently. And much of the time they aren't even aware that of the unconscious gender biases that like are driving their behavior, you know, pink and pretty dresses and stuffed animals and dollies for girls. You know, when you find out somebody's having a little girl, those are typical gifts that you get. Mm -hmm. Whereas boys get those trucks and puzzles and shape sorters and, and toys that are, are spatially aware kinds of things. So give me an example. What are you talking about? For like, okay, so for example, I saw a snippet from a BBC documentary, Mm -hmm. like the day after I read this article, and it was on gender, and they dressed a little girl up like a boy, and a little boy up like a girl, Um, and the researchers put typical boy toys out and typical girl toys out, and allowed um, these strangers, I mean, nanny (laughs) I know that's not a (laughs) That sounds wrong, Maggie. Well, I know. 
we want nannies and, and child sure. caretakers and things like that to come and play with these kids. And, you know, they just basically put the babies in the middle of all these different toys mixed up. And, um, you know, I bet you can guess what they chose to play with each gender. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was true. Um, even the, the researchers mentioned how interesting it was that all the adult, adults chose the spatial awareness toys for the boys, um, the sorters, the blocks, the puzzles. Um, they made more noises and grunting sounds where the girls were given the stuffies and were spoken to a lot more, like gentle play and gentle speak. It was very interesting. Yeah. Now, now you said boys and girls. You meant, like, to be clear here, the when the adult thought she was playing with a boy, even though it was a girl, when the, the adult thought she was playing with a boy, she would give that child... Um, typical boy toys, yeah. right? That's yeah. it. So, and then when the adult thought she was playing with a girl, even though it was a boy, when the adult thought she was playing with a girl, she would play and, and hand that kid that girl-ish thing, <laughs> uh, girl, typical girl toys, right? That's, that's what you're talking about? Yes, yes. And we do have the link, or, or we will have the link up um, after the blog post for people to actually see the visual. Yeah, that's that's it's pretty powerful. It's got to be heartbreaking. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, okay. So that, okay. You're talking about a, this video with little kids, right? Mm-hmm. But, the, but the thing is that continues all the way through adulthood, right? In that, you know, math and science, we, we typically stereotype those as male domains and and then stereotypes about females being inferior in math uh, those are pretty prominent um, starting in with girls uh, i mean young children but marching all the way straight through adults and even teachers kind of express this kind of bias this gender bias in mathematics and and so here's the thing before we get a bunch of hate mail Maggie, yeah. you and I need to clarify. We, you and I, right? I, I hope we didn't talk about this, but we agree that boys and girls are equally capable at doing math. For right? sure. Okay, so no hate mail from anybody. That no. Boys and girls are equally capable at doing math. Mm-hmm. But what happens is, uh, well, starting at early age, well through adulthood, somehow the adults, uh, let's see, adult males are seen as being better at mathematics than adult women. And that's a, that's a cultural thing. That's not a you and me thing, right? Right. Okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> right. No, and I think that's why this is so important to talk about because it's so embedded within our culture that we don't even see it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like, for instance, um, when I was doing my master's in elementary math, one of the papers I was writing was about how do girls get messages, you know, about math and not being good at it. And one of the things that kept coming up was, um, I don't know if you remember, but the whole talking Barbie debacle. Oh, math where, class is tough. Yes, where math classes, <laughs> and that's pretty overt. Um, but if we aren't careful, those are the messages that 
the girls internalize and in turn the boys do too because they're hearing it so they think oh girl toys are saying math class is tough so it must be tough for girls yeah so you've got these overt messages you also have these real subtle subconscious messages that are going out and here's I don't know how to express what those um, subconscious messages are, but here's an example of how I know that these subconscious messages are being sent. So they take fathers, uh, there's a study, and, and they take these fathers and they ask the fathers to estimate their son's mathematical IQ. And the fathers estimated their son's mathematical IQ to be around, on average, 110, while those fathers estimated their daughter's IQ at 98. That's All right. Crazy. I know. I know. So well, now, because but, they're a girl and a boy. Yeah, I guess. Now here's the here's the you might say though. Oh, that's the fathers. Those fathers are kind of dumb, and they're they're into their boys, right? Well, here's the thing. Same study. Mothers estimated the same exact average for their sons, 110, and a, a mathematical IQ of 110, right? And for their daughters, 104. So both fathers and mothers, when asked to estimate their child's IQ, they, on average, estimate the boys to be higher than the girls. So. I don't know what kind of messages are then subsequently delivered to the kids, but if this is what's going on inside the minds and the hearts of parents, it's got to come out and ooze onto the kids in some fashion, right? Right, right. And now here's the kicker, though. So we teachers, you know, we might say, well, those are moms and dads and they're not really into this educational thing. Well, here's the kicker. Teachers tend to stereotype mathematics as a male domain. And in particular, here's the cool thing, or not cool thing, frightening thing, I guess, is they tend to overrate boys' abilities rep relative to girls. So essentially, teachers are doing the exact same thing that the fathers and the mothers are doing. They tend to see boys and overestimate the boys relative to the girls. That's interesting that you say that because it, it reminds me of when I was in um, the credential program and my master teacher was always telling me to um, pick sticks to call on kids. And this is with any subject. Mm -hmm. And she said, because studies have shown that we tend to, depending on the subject, we tend to call one sex over the other more. And so um, if you, you're picking from like a stick box or cards or whatever it is, you're less likely to do that. It's really by chance. And so I decided to test that theory out. And um, sure enough, I mean, and I didn't do this on purpose. Like I'm a well-meaning, just like every other teacher, but during math and science, I had more boys' hands shoot up. And so therefore I called on them more and the girls kind of sat back. But when I started picking those sticks, all the kids were answering. Interesting. So in the article, you know how you had talked about, and the, uh, the article was talking about how girls are not showing up in contests. Yes. And, and so I think you might be kind of echoing that uh, observation in your classroom in that, you know, if teachers aren't careful, the 
the classroom dynamic can kind of become a mini competition where the teacher asks a question, hands are shot up in like it's a game show, and then the teacher calls on somebody and that and, and really that's kind of in a small microcosm day by day way uh, mimicking those competitions that the girls tend to not participate in from, you know, per the article. Right. And it's crazy because we're not even meaning to, but how can we as educators help, you know, become aware of our own biases and messages and help girls love math just as much as boys or help really just any kid love math? Right, right. Well, for me, I, I mean, we're going to bounce ideas here. The, I think one of the things you're doing right now is what, what you were talking about is that idea of using sticks. Well, you don't have to use sticks anymore. Now we can use Class Dojo. There's a bazillion different phone apps that will randomly call kids. And that might be one way to address that bias is let the computer do it. And we're going to assume that the algorithm is, is fair. Um, that's one way. Mm-hmm. We could do it. I, 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 perhaps maybe, uh, I mean, that's just one tiny piece. I think really maybe the first thing we need to do is just acknowledge that um, these implicit biases exist. And if we're aware of it, that this implicit biased bias exists, then we can combat it and we can watch like metacognitively and we can reflect on our own performance and then be aware that way we may be uh, doing things that favor boys over girls, even though research bears it out, man. Girls and boys are equally uh, good at mathematics. It's mm-hmm. it's just that, I, I mean, heck, all the way up to college. Right. We know that 45%, so roughly half, 45% of uh, bachelor's degrees in mathematics are going to, to females. So, uh, man, Still we not know. Still half, but we're getting there. Yeah, not quite, but it's, yeah. But then when you look at like high school competitions, math competitions, you get as low as like 14% are girls. Right. So it's, maybe it's, there's that, that competition thing might be playing a role in why the girls are opting out of the competitions. Uh, you get the same thing. We don't see females at beyond the bachelor's degree of math in, in as high a, a ratio. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they start to disappear at the faculty level at, at universities. And I wonder if there's some sort of like just choosing not to participate in some sort of competition thing. I don't know. Um, anyway, so the th- first thing is let's acknowledge that there is some biases inside our own hearts. <laughs> and if we're aware of it, now we can try and watch for it and address it when it, when it pops up. Another idea that I read in, in our research this week is, um, you know, there's this movement towards single sex math classes. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, well, let's put the girls in um, a class uh, so that they can be protected from that competitive boy testosterone thing that's going on. Um, and that the girls can then um, grow in a nice, healthy, supportive, all girl environment, right? But the data is showing that uh, girls are performing equally well as boys uh, at when it's when it matters, like at the K-12 level. And so we don't really, the data just doesn't say we need to have girl 
things, but we do need to be aware that it is possible we're running a classroom, a co-ed classroom, that might be kind of biased towards boys. So let's be aware of it, but the solution isn't necessarily put all the girls in a, in a classroom. Right. Uh, the, the, well, and I know not to cut you off, but no, like cut me Joe off. Bowler is a, a huge, you know, she wants girls in math, you know, more than anybody. And she says that it's just about the experiences that kids have been offered growing up. Any, any child is able to reach, you know, higher level math if they are given the right scaffolds. Yep. Yep. And I think we just have to keep that aware and, you know, in the back of our minds all the time that kids just need the experience, whether they're boys or girls and to give them those opportunities. Yeah. And get rid of that, that, um, fixed mindset thing of saying, Hey, I'm not a math person. It's like baloney. Yeah. We're all math people. We yeah. all have the ability. And if a person feels like they're not a math person, it's, it's merely because, uh, the school has been structured in a way to cause you to feel that way. Not because that's the truth. Right. Well, and, and I think, I think that's also true. Like, I feel like teachers should also help students, boys and girls see that math is fun. Um, there's a professor at um, UW College um, mm -hmm. of Education, um, Elam, because I'm going to mess up her name, Kazimi. Yeah. Sure. Um, and she's been quoted as saying, she, you know, all kids need to be able to see that math is alive, joyful, creative. And um, if girls get more messages that math is imaginative, you know, and fun, they might actually identify it with more. And, nice. you know, she goes on to say, like, it's easy for people to express dislike for math um, and to say, oh, I'm just not a math person. But people do lots of math outside of class. Yeah. Um, and I think teachers don't always bring this fun to the classroom because their confidence in the contextual understanding is weak. And so they don't know how, you know, but that's a totally a different discussion for another day. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. Right? You know. Bringing it back around to some research that I read is there's evidence that says, hey, what we need to do, and this is totally to your point, uh, we need to increase the amount of problem solving that goes on in the classroom, non-traditional problem solving. It kind of puts all the boys and the girls on an equal footing. It allows everybody to experience that creativeness of mathematics, and it, it, um, it eliminates that competitiveness and puts an emphasis on creativity. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Another thing we could do is we could really just be aware of using gender neutral language. Oh. And, and, and when we I, say I am, I am a huge, like, I know that's a big problem of me for me. Yeah. Oh yeah. When... Class, hey, you guys, come on, let's go. We can do this guys. And it's yep. so not a class nice. full of guys. <laughs> Or when you're talking about mathematicians and then you immediately refer to him as he yes. every single time, right? I did a thing in, oh, it was sixth grade, maybe 15 years ago. Um, I had all my sixth graders draw a picture of an imaginary mathematician who was going to be coming into our classroom and talking to them. And I said, imagine this mathematician is going to stand in the front of the room and that mathematician is going to talk to you about mathematics. Now, here's what I want you to do. And I asked the kids to sketch a drawing of what that mathematician would look like. And all but two out of the 150 kids I had 
drew a non-female. Hmm. And what I mean by that is they were mostly male, and although some were monsters and, you know, oh. like devil characters and stuff. Uh, oh. Only only two drawings were girl or were clearly female all of them were negative so they had horns or they drew the mathematician with broken glasses or something so the idea is we need to refer to mathematicians as both male and female because Mm -hmm. i had 148 students who were convinced that mathematicians were not female well my son had to do the same thing um, for his science class and he said that everybody in the class either um, focused on Bill Nye, you know, yep. or just yep. some mad, I, like mad scientist looking like person like Einstein or, you know, but there wasn't any women. And yep. he said that nobody could even think of anything uh, woman related except for magic tree or magic schoolhouse. No, oh, magic geez. school bus. Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That teacher lady. Yeah. Yeah watches that yeah yeah so along those lines so we've talked about research we've talked about teachers mm-hmm. we now let's talk about parents so parents can help as well we've yeah. got this there is some research that shows that this one particular app and I'm not a salesman for this app I don't make money from it but bedtime math oh we use a, that at my house yes it's a, do you really I do Oh, that's cool. It's a, you know, it's a website, but it's also, f- so for everybody who doesn't know, it's uh, also a uh, phone app or an iPad app. Mm-hmm. And it's great, man. You press the button, you get, you get a, a variety of problems geared towards a variety of ages. You just click on it. You, you let your kids do the math. It emphasizes persistence and problem solving rather than really focusing on speed and facts. And it just lets the kids experience math in a, a new way, which I, I think research is going to bear out. Although I don't, I haven't read any research specific to gender, but mm-hmm. I think research is going to show that this is going to balance out that boy-girl kind of gender bias that might mm-hmm. be going on. Well, and the thing about bedtime math is that the reason I had gotten it, it was recommended by one of my younger son's teachers as a way to start bringing math talk into the house. And there oh, nice. were things about buildings, you know, and and this one just stands out because it was like the con, the, I don't even know how to explain it, the convex of the window of this building in China was so that when the sun started setting, um, the windows would heat up and things inside offices would start setting on fire (laughs) and so they had to adjust the windows because it was illuminating the sun so much right what a great conversation and that has all to do about math and the angles and like you know the sun's rays so it's science and math and the conversation my boys and I had were just it was just phenomenal yeah now, I think the cool thing, and I, I, I've heard this a lot in my 28 years of teaching, I've heard references, kids will say it, and moms will say it. Oh, I can't help my kid with homework. We, we have to wait until dad gets home. Oh, yes. So how cool is it that bedtime math allows for any parent, whether it's a mom, a dad, or a single parent, or a grandma, or a grandpa, or an aunt, or an uncle, it allows any parent 
or any guardian, let's say, of any gender to interact with the kid mathematically. And mm-hmm. that's that's the power. So, hey, I think we got to wrap this up. This, you got it. All right. So, Maggie, what are your closing thoughts? All right. I think for me, um, let's see. I'm walking away from this discussion with more awareness to the language I use in my classroom or even as I'm out training teachers. Um, I inadvertently use words that indicate math isn't for girls and I have to be careful with that. Um, I also know that I need to make math cool in my classroom to inspire all kids equally, not just boys or not just girls. How about you? What are your closing thoughts? I'm reminded that research says boys and girls can do math equally well that when we see adults, are the mathematicians are primarily male rather than female, it's because we have done something in the system to filter out the girls. So I need to just start being aware of some implicit biases that I may have and, and fight them and, and make sure I run a classroom that is um, equally beneficial to both genders. Great. So wrap and it up. That- Thank you for listening to Infinite Insights, the podcast for all K-12 math teachers. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And if you haven't already done so, please send us a shout out on Twitter, at uh, dhobecker, that's me, or at Lover one And by the way, also subscribe, you know, on that YouTube thing. No, not YouTube. What is it called? iTunes. <laughs> Press that. Besides pressing this, this subscribe button, leave a review, a comment, because that, that, that'll be kind of cool as well. Yes, please do. And as usual, have a great week. We will see you every other Monday here at Infinite Insights. All right, see you later. Bye.